You can go ahead and be seated. Children, you can go ahead and make your way uh, over to the gym. I like it. I like it. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Second Peter. Um, we will be continuing our service through the book of Second Peter, and um, we've entitled that series "Grow" because what we see as we read through Peter's second letter to these churches is is basically a recipe, if you will, or instruction that's going to lead to maturity. It's going to lead to growth in our lives and in the churches. And as what Peter is doing here in this late kind of second half of the the first century here is writing to these churches and basically he's correcting false doctrine. He's correcting heresy that had begun to creep into the church and and it was important for him, it was, a, it was happening enough for him to address this letter and be specific. And so as we've worked through the first chapter, we, we saw basically he says, Here, here's what the groundwork is. It's all about Christ. It's growing in the grace and knowledge that is Jesus Christ. Here's how that's going to work in your life. And he gives us this list uh, around verses 6 and 7 in that first chapter and how, what practically that will look like in your lives. And then he continues basically to say it's not about what we're saying. It's not about anything else. It's about Christ and his work. Okay? And then here where we are today, we'll be in the second chapter. We, he starts to specifically address what's happening. Okay? And really, most people, when they come to Second Peter, um, the second chapter is pretty much where everyone gets to. This is what people want to know. Okay, okay. he says false prophets. Oh, let's figure this out. This is like the exciting part of the book. But um, it, it really, when we look at it, it's just fitting right into the flow of what Peter's saying. He's not saying anything different. He's just addressing it um, the way it is. And basically, we find that the only way we're going to grow through hardships and obstacles is to find comfort in the truth of the gospel. It's, it's the whole gospel, it's the true gospel that gives us comfort, that allows us to grow even though there's hardships. Um, so if you will read with me or follow along as we read Second uh, Peter 2, we're going to read the first 10 verses of this chapter and then we'll start unpacking what Peter has for us today. So in Second Peter 1 it says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment... If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was, tor- he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. In verse 9, Then the Lord 
knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially to those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority, bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. If y'all will pray with me, we'll ask the Spirit to guide us through this today. Father God, we thank you that we can open these words that were penned so long ago, yet they're still so applicable to our lives today. God, I just pray that today your spirit would move in our hearts, that, that your words would come alive, that, your, that what has resonated through our soul today would be the truth of your gospel. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, as I was working through this today, uh, or, or trying to prepare for today, I kept going back to this one thing. I've, I've said before that I just happen, I'm very auditory, which is weird because I teach PE and everyone thinks I'm supposed to be doing stuff. But I learn. I'm very auditory. I learn by hearing. If I hear it, which makes me a pastor's nightmare from somewhere else because I know when they say the same thing over and over again. So, um, but I, I always remember stuff, not necessarily that's worth anything, which is why I remember movies. I just, I just remember them and it drives Lindsay crazy because I'll remember a movie we haven't watched in 10 years and I can quote it. I just, I don't know. But as I was going through this and thinking that, that really what, what Peter's saying here is there's going to be obstacles. We, we see that he's talking about false prophets coming, but there's going to be obstacles. And a lot of times we think that once we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, that it's, it's an easy lie. Not that it's just perfect, but it's an easier thing. We, we freak out when we have obstacles because, wait a second, that's not supposed to happen. And it made me, thinking that thought, uh, that process, it made me think of the great movie that is, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Right? Because it's just an amazing movie. And, and at the very first scene of that movie, they're running through the field. They just escaped or whatever. And they come up to the railroad track, if you don't know. And there's this, this blind man. He's doing one of the, I don't know what those are called, but the, uh, the little cart. And they ask him for a ride. And he starts talking to them. And one thing he says that they're on a journey, he's telling them they're on a journey and he's saying all this different stuff about they'll see a cow in a cotton house and stuff like that. But he says there's going to be, he says, obstacles. It's just funny. There's going to be obstacles. See, what they did is they, they had got this freedom that escaped, even though they were chained. They never thought that anything negative was going to happen. Like They were free. And that's the same thing that we do, is we, we, we come into our knowledge of Jesus Christ, and we think there's no obstacles. But Peter here is saying, no, there are. So, but he's saying, no, there are, but in the, in the obstacles come from within. See, he's not talking about the world here. He's talking about the church. When he's saying there's going to be false prophets and false teachers, he's talking about the church. This is people from within. We can, we can worry about the world, and that's, going to be, that's obvious that it's going to be different because we're opposite of the world. But here Peter's saying, no, there's going to be false prophets because they come from within. And so what he, he does here is he's exposing what they do, which then allows us to grow through that knowledge. Because if we don't understand this knowledge that he gives us here, then we're not going to be able to overcome the hardships, overcome the obstacles that are brought from us a lot of times from within the church, not outside of the church. And that's why it takes us off guard. So the, the first way that, that, that we can grow through here is simply to know that false teachers will come. A lot of times we don't think that. Look at verse 1 again. But false prophets also arose among the people, 
just as there will be false teachers among you. Okay, that first part, he's saying, okay, here it is. The, the false prophets were among the people. What he's talking about there is Old Testament, that's God's chosen people. There were false prophets there, so there's also gonna be false teachers here. A lot of times we think that, oh, well, that just happened then. No, what Peter's saying, yes, it happened then. That's, a, that's an example of what happened, so it's gonna happen again. That's gonna happen again. If the people who were led out of exile and, and saw probably a bigger experience of what God has given them because they had visuals, they had more visuals of God's presence. If there was false teachers among them, we know that there's false teachers among us. So that's the first way that we can grow is to simply realize that that's gonna happen. As we see that the thing that's unnerving there with this is the fact that it comes from within. And, and we talked... Um, this summer about the church and, and talking about how there's, there's the local church, the gathering like us right now, but there's also the universal church. And the universal church is all those past, present, future that are bought by Christ's blood. And so what Peter's saying here, though, is that there's going to be people within that that are going to bring in things. These false teachers are from within. And, and, and see what they do. Who work, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. That, that middle part of verse one, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And, and real fast, I want to define heresy because a lot of times we don't talk about it anymore. Because a lot of times we, in our society now, we don't want to, we don't want to label something. We, we shy away from direct labels. We don't want to call people out because, well, that might offend them. But here, when we say heresy, we're simply meaning a belief or opinion contrary to the orthodox religious doctrine. So if we see a doctrine that has been taught throughout church history that's explicitly taught in the word, then a heresy is anything that's counter to that. It's just opposite of that. It's not a negative thing to say that. It's actually a positive thing to acknowledge it. But we don't want to do that. Uh, There's a song, um, a rap song that's talking about this, and it says that the only heresy is claiming that there's heresy right now. And that's a lot of what we have because we're afraid to call things how we see them. And, and that's what Peter's doing here. He's going to secretly, there, there's going to be false teachers. They're going to secretly bring in destructive heresies. And we see that they're destructive because they lead to separation from God. They're, they're bringing in these subtle things. When it says secretly, we're, in the language, getting into the original language in this, it's not secretly as in they don't see it coming. It's meaning simply they bring in another idea. It's just brought in. So these heresies are, are not necessarily, you're not gonna see it happening. It's just a new idea brought in. It's just something that's brought in. And so what do they bring in? It doesn't necessarily say it here in the first verse, but if you keep going, that, that second part of first, the first verse is huge here. I'll just start from the beginning. For false prophets arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They're just gonna bring in new ideas then what do they do? Even denying the master who bought them, bringing on upon themselves swift destruction. That, that little phrase, even denying the master that bought them, is huge. Because what that's saying there is they're denying the freedom they've been given in Christ. So they're adding something to the fact that while we need to live a certain way, they're denying the master that bought them. And this is a huge concept because in this time period, when you had the slavery that they had, 
there, there's records that they still have of slave transactions um, that, you, that you can go and you can, they can look at. And, and a lot of the t- times was if someone ever was freed, this, we can't think slavery as in American South slavery. This is, it's more of indentured servitude, um, bond servant. But if everyone was ever set free, it was not to ever be captive again. So if you ever had someone that had purchased you and set you free, no one else was ever able to then enslave you again. And so when we see here Peter saying, denying the master who bought them, they're literally, he's literally saying that they, they come in, they deny the master, they deny Christ that bought them, and allowing themselves then to go back into slavery. They're denying the fact that they were ever set free because they're bringing themselves back into chains by denying the freedom that they were given. Okay, and, and so it's a huge thing to see this. We need to understand, so what are they doing in that? What are they doing? And it's kind of frustrating sometimes you look at this, it's like, just tell us what they're teaching here. But you can't because it's anything that's counter to that gospel. And then look at verse two. And many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. Many people, it doesn't say, oh, they're not gonna have a following. No, they're gonna have a big following. People are gonna be drawn away. Many people, not a few, Many people are going to follow them. They're going to be brought to their side. They're going to follow sensuality. Sensuality meaning just licentious, just license to use your freedom forever for whatever you need. And, and really we see that that's, that's what's happening in our church now. It, it, we see in the, the American church that happening where it's just come in and use your freedom to advance yourself. You know, what has God done for you? And it should be, what are we doing for God? Because he loved us. There's a difference there. So we see that, that many people will follow their sensuality. Many people will be drawn to that. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. That's probably the most important thing right here with false teachers coming in. Is that it's not people that are hurt, just. It's literally the way of truth. The gospel advancement of the gospel is hurt because they're drawing people away. And, and what you see here is if, if the gospel's hurt because of what they're doing, then that means society as a whole really doesn't agree with what they're doing. So it's not just they're doing anti-church. They're just doing their own thing. They're calling people their own thing. We're going to create this thing. And now the gospel that they denied is being hurt because of it. And that's why this is a, such a huge thing. That's why Peter's so pointed in telling what's going to happen and that there are false teachers. It's, they're going to be there. They're going to bring in new ideas. They're going to deny the master that bought them. And that's how we can identify them. As if anything is, is drawing people to themselves, then it's not going to be the true gospel. That's why it says in verse 3, in their greed they will exploit you. In their greed. It's all about themselves. It's all about their gain. Financially, socially, anything that brings the point of Christianity to yourself is not true Christianity because the point of Christianity is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so anything that doesn't do that, Peter here calls a false, false prophet, a false teacher. They're going to bring in these heresies. It's going to be destructive both to people and to the church. And so we need to be able to have our eyes open to that. We need to grow in the fact that they will come. 
that they will come, and it's drawing people to themselves instead of to the master that bought them. Because they've got it backwards. They deny that master that bought them and gain themselves, and we should get rid of ourselves, deny ourselves, and go to the master. And the second way we grow through this is we see that God's judgment will come. If you read, if you've ever read the the book Habakkuk, that's what Habakkuk is saying in the Old Testament, is that how long are we gonna be able to cry for you? We see that, that God's judgment will come. And this is, before we read this, the verse that, that I wanna talk about with this, is that's a lot of, in this time period, what the, the heresy was, is that, oh, well, God's judgment hasn't come, so it's not going to. Well, it hasn't got here yet, so it's not, it's not going to come. It's delaying. And that's why we, we will start in the second part of verse three. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Saying it's not idle and their destruction is not asleep. And then what we have here is in verse four, four through six here, we'll read it real quick. And, and Peter gives us an example of why we know judgment will come. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, herald of righteousness, with the seven others, when he bought, brought flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. So what Peter's doing here is he's using, kind of like he did in verse one, is there was false prophets among the people, so there will be false prophets now. He's saying, there was God's judgment then, so God's judgment's going to come. It's the same argument. Because just because we don't see God's judgment working now doesn't mean that it's not gonna come because he's done it before. The condemnations from long ago, it's not idle. It's moving, it's active, it's moving forward. And it's just because we don't see it doesn't mean that it stopped coming. It's not idle. The destruction's not asleep. God isn't asleep. I think it's funny here, you get this, the same picture of when... Um, you had Elijah and the, the false prophets and they were having the, in the Old Testament and they had the contest to see which God would come down. And, and he said that's what he was using to mock the other people. He was saying, well, is your God asleep? Is he not here? Maybe he's taking a break for a second. And, and so what Peter's saying here is, no, the destruction's not asleep. And we know that God is righteous and a just God, so he will judge unrighteousness. And see, we have a problem with that in the church today, just in society in general, because we think judgment's bad. We think it's a negative thing, but it's actually not. If God didn't judge unrighteousness, then he's really not righteous. He's just like everyone else. So God's judgment makes God good. Even though society says, calling someone out, being pointed on this is wrong, society says that's negative. God says, no, that's unrighteous and I'll just it. I will judge it because I'm a just and righteous God. Just because it's not coming doesn't mean, just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not coming. When I was in high school, uh, I had a Jeep, which was probably a bad choice by my parents, but somehow I talked my dad into it. And on the back of my Jeep, it was, a, for some reason we bought it, it was like an angle iron bumper, like four inch angle iron bumper. So a lot of times it was good when we go hunting because we just strap ourselves in on the back. And it's not very safe, but you don't do, you don't think about safety when you're, 17 and 18, you just think about it's easier to shoot rabbits if I'm not having to hold on. And, um, it, but oftentimes, as we did, that would turn into other things. And one time, we were using that same method to, to hit bash mailboxes. I don't know why, we just did. 
that my justification was I'm just driving. They're the ones hitting it. But uh, at one time we had someone chase us, and I was like, great. And it's that rush. And we get in town, I was like, hey, I had a Jeep. We had the doors off, the top off. So we somehow made it away and got away from them. And so I pulled into my garage, and we transformed it. Right? I put the top back on, doors on. It was all good. And then we went back up. Everyone hung out in our high school parking lot. And nothing happened for a couple hours, and we thought we'd got away. Well, about two and a half hours later, the sheriff rolls in because they'd got my license plate, and it took them that long to figure out who I was and probably where I'd be. And it's a small town. Everyone knew me. And so that's, that's the same thing Peter's saying here is while I was thinking that I got away free because I didn't see anything happening, doesn't mean that stuff was working that I wasn't aware of. Stuff was happening. My judgment, if you will, was coming, and because of that, I had to put three or four mailboxes back up and dig some post holes and stuff like that. But that's the same thing we have here is just because we don't see God's judgment right now doesn't mean that it's not on the horizon. Doesn't mean that it's not coming. And we see that if he didn't spare the angels, but cast them down, if he didn't spare the ancient world, if he didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah, how can we be arrogant enough to think that he's not going to judge us? If he's not going to judge unrighteousness, because he will. The fact that we don't see it doesn't mean that it's not coming. And so it's an actual way to grow and understanding that it is coming. It's a mature thing to realize that this is coming. So what, what is the only way to hold off God's wrath? Well, it was his son who took that wrath upon himself. So we should advance the gospel because we know that those who are left in their sin will be judged. It's coming. It doesn't mean we have to freak out and think the end of it. No, it's actually a reason for praise because he's allowing time for those to come to him. And then the last way we, we grow with realizing that God will rescue us. Look at verse 8 with me. Actually, we'll start in 7. If he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked... And verse 8 says, For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. And then verse 9 is one of the greatest promises we have. And then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. See, because a lot of times we, we feel like that we're in life on our own. That we just need to continue going where we are. But no. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly. Those that have been called in him and brought in by his son, Jesus, the Lord knows how to rescue you from those trials. He knows how to hold you safe, to keep you secure in that. But what we seldom recognize is, and when we look at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we look right here, we we forget to realize that, look at Lot's attitude here. He lived among them, but he was tormented with his righteous soul. He was tormenting him over their lawless deeds. And so that's how we should be. And that's the first way we can ask ourselves if we're understanding that God will rescue us. Because if we know God will rescue us, then we can see society and we can understand that it's so opposite of what he's called us to be. If we understand who God is, then we can't just idly sit by This should bother us. This should bother us in the way society is going apart from God instead of with him. It's it's sad and it should 
should bug us and, and torment our souls when we see the churches caving to cultural demands instead of holding on to what God has given us. See, it's the church that should divine culture, not the culture divine, define the church. And often we switch that. We switch that because we, we fail to understand that God can rescue us. There is hardships, and when you live how God has called us in the society we live in, you will be different. Our motivations are different. Our life path is different. It doesn't mean that we're separate from it. It's just a different trajectory. And if we forget to realize that he can rescue us from that, then instead of coming into culture and showing how the gospel redeems it, we'll just simply assimilate into it. And we'll wake up early on Sunday mornings and, and go to church and, and not really bother about anything else and the church won't be the, the best story told. It'll just be another thing in the midst of our busy lives. On Sunday mornings, um, getting ready, I love something I get to do. I get up early and uh, I go pick up our trailer that has all the stuff in it. And I usually go do it around um, 7-ish. So as I'm driving around the hill over here, I get to see the sun come up every day. And this morning when I was doing that, I was, it, it would just, for some reason, it just hit me, that's, that's the exact same thing that we're talking about here is that God knows how to rescue the ungodly. The light will overcome the darkness. And as you see the sun coming up in the mornings, it, it's not a one time, it's just gradual coming over and then eventually there is no darkness. And that's how God does it. He knows how to rescue us. The light will overcome. The light will overcome. There will be judgment. There will be judgment. But we also know that he knows how to rescue the godly. That's something that we should tell ourselves every day. We should tell ourselves every day that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. He knows how to rescue me. We say that, I've said before that, that Martin Luther was quoted saying that the the whole life of a believer should be summed up in repent, repentance, repentance and the respondent faith, repentance and respondent faith. And that's what this is saying, is the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. So it's fine to repent and understand that because we know we're secure in Christ and he knows how to rescue us when we have trials. That's why James in his, his letter can say, consider it joy when you face trials. Consider it joy because God knows how to rescue you. So if life feels like you can't continue, remind yourself that God knows how to do that. He knows how to rescue you. We don't have a God that's just trying to figure this out as he goes. We, have, we know the ending. We know the ending. We know that God knows how to rescue us. And he chose to rescue us through his son who lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserved. And that's that's how we grow in that, is understanding that there will be teach people that come in. They're going to teach other ideas. They're going to try to redefine the gospel. And we see this happening. If you watch anything about the church right now in, in the media, that's what's happening. Is people are trying to redefine the gospel based on what our culture is. Well, that was written for that culture. Our culture is different. No, the gospel invades every culture with its truth. It adapts. It's the, only, it's the only message that adapts to everything yet doesn't change. 
It shows how our need for duty and to, to work out for our lives isn't the way because someone did that for us. It's not a step-by-step, step, you have to do this for God to save you. No, it's a realization that Christ did that for you so you don't have to. So just in, in ending all of this, we simply just have to ask ourselves, are we looking at the obstacles, the trials, the hardships, or are we looking to the gospel? Because the gospel is the way to get out of that. Are we looking at what people are teaching, not just here? And this is something that, that by saying this and talking about it, what I say falls under this too, that if it's ever against the gospel, then it's not truth. Just because I'm standing here doesn't make me exempt from this. But we need to know that the obstacles, the hardships, the false teachings that are brought are not bigger than the gospel, are not bigger than God. One day that will be judged. And we can't give people the benefit of the doubt and think, oh, well, maybe they meant this. Well, maybe we should ask them if that's what they meant. And if they didn't, then we should correct that because judgment is coming. So we need to repent of those selfish desires of that falsehood even if we speak and we need to trust in the gospel daily. That's how we live this life. That's how we grow through this is acknowledge that there are false teachers. It's kind of like everything that you read on the internet is true, right? You know? So everything, we, we take that same mentality and think, well, everything in the church is true. No, not really. Because it's very specific on a lot of things that we count as up in the air, it's very specific if we actually do it. The problem is we're afraid to stand on it because we don't realize that God can rescue us. He can give us the strength to overcome the trials. We can call out culture because we don't call out culture to completely say they're wrong. We call it culture to say, but here's the real way. Here's the gospel. And, and that's what we do. That's why we worship. 